Yes, hello, folks. Welcome to a very special episode of Beyond the Pitch. I'm here, as always, Phil Brown, and delighted to be joined here with the magnificent Christine Cooper, a good friend of mine, and someone who is doing a fantastic job right now on CBS. Of course, she's covering Italian football on CBS. About to start another podcast on Thursday on the Cake Lasso YouTube. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about her incredible career, love of football, love of Italian football. We'll talk about a few other things related to the sport and a love of Arsenal, of course. So uh, one thing we have in common is we're both long-suffering fans with hope that's killing both of us. So uh, we could we could, uh, we, we could show our commiserations there. Christine, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, my God. It's an absolute honor. <laughs> um, you know, I want to talk about your amazing career because you've done a fantastic job. Very, very difficult to get a break in sports these days, especially at the level that you're at. Christine, first of all, thoroughly earned. I know how much football you watch. I know how much you <laughs> love the board. Yeah, you're either watching football, you're playing football, you're walking that beautiful dog of yours. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you're currently doing. So I am, in fact, working with the Serie A team uh, over at Paramount Plus slash CBS. They are a wonderful gang of brilliant folks that I am very, very lucky to be a part of. Um, and we're also doing, uh, as you mentioned, weekly uh, Thursdays, a live pod uh, called Calling Calcio um, on Kegelazzo YouTube. Um, where we're hoping for a whole lot of interaction with uh, Italian Calcio fans. Um, you can just comment in and otherwise it's always available on playback also um, after the fact, but we're hoping to uh, get to connect better with some of our fellow fans. Um, and then otherwise I'm just doing a here and there um, bit and piece on air work. Um, I got to do an interview spot for NYCFC because we obviously all of the football that I watch, um, MLS is part of it too. Um, and 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 watching my beloved Arsenal actually do good things. I'm feeling these weird feelings of optimism these days. Don't don't go there. You'll regret it. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> I know how this is. Uh, so sounds like you have a lot going on. Um, how did this opportunity come about for you? Uh, so I guess peak pandemic, I kind of uh, pivoted a little bit and needed to fill a lot of the gaps in just sort of my life. I realized how active I was and sitting inside your one bedroom apartment in New York mm -hmm. City when you're used to playing soccer all the time uh, and watching soccer. There was also the gap where we didn't even have that uh, brief respite. Uh, I got more engaged with the Juventus family, which was... Um, an Italian news outlet of sorts um, where they kind of gather fans and otherwise um, in Italian language and um, myself and my now dear friend Giuseppe were tasked with uh, sort of building out the English language portion of that that became JV World. So we were basically covering week over week for Juventus specific um, and from there, I started to um, engage more. I always said, like, oh, I don't really think I need to be on a podcast. And then from there, I started contributing to Total Soccer Show um, for from Serie A coverage. Um, I covered U.S. Women's National Team qualifiers with Grant Wall on his pod. Um, it, it just it, it felt like it was this weird natural progression that I thoroughly enjoyed. And um, because of it, and I don't know if it's a happy accident or the universe intervened, but mm. um, I ended up um, meeting up with the CBS gang and they were like, hey, like this, we think we're looking for somebody like you. So 
hopefully I live up to their expectations. <laughs> well, I would say you have. And uh, I actually had Grant on the podcast on Friday, a mutual friend. And uh, I know uh, I was telling him I wanted to reach out to you, actually, and have you on. And uh, he, of course, speaks very, very highly of you. Um, but clearly, you come from an Italian-American background. So obviously, that's where your love of Syria calcio comes from first, right? Sure does. Um, my family is from a tiny, 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 tiny town called Palamonte uh, in Campania, Salerno. Um, and apparently, uh, I only found out in recent years that my great great grandparents' house is still there and is, in fact, still wow. in my family. Um, when the Kupos emigrated, uh, half went to Vancouver, half went to New York. And so the Canadian Kupos, as they, <laughs> I affectionately refer to them, um, are still in possession of their home. So hopefully one of these days I get to go check it out. Have you been over there? I haven't been over there. I didn't even know that it still existed. You've got so to get the Italy. I've, I've, I've got to go check it out, you know? Italy is so I've been to Milan. I've been to Rome. And um, absolutely beautiful. You know, coming from Europe, raised in a lot of history, but different types of history. And, uh, going to Italy you know, parts of Italy, you just feel like you're going back in time and seeing the Trevi Fountain and seeing different parts of Rome, seeing the Colosseum. Um, you know, it's a country that's so rich in culture and history that's given so much to the world in terms of culture and history. And, um, you know, it, it is something that uh, I think most people would like to be a bit Italian, you know, because oh, yeah. uh, it is... Oh, <laughs> you're either... You're either Italian or you want to be Italian. Well, it's right? just such a beautiful, <laughs> picturesque country, right? You know, it's got it's got the weather, it's got the olives, it's got you know the, there's so many parts of that country that are just so beautiful. I took a train from uh, Monaco into Milan, and it was just beautiful. You know, Ireland's freezing cold is different day because the different type of history, <laughs> right? But uh, just something if you're Italian, uh, Italian ethnicity something you really need to see my my cousin has a house in tuscany which i haven't been so i'm desperate to go see that uh she has money i don't so i'm desperate to go see that uh, uh, most... i have a lot of friends i have a lot of friends in milan um there's a lot of terrain i have to cover yet that i haven't seen so because well, you switzerland um, everything no it's everything so yeah, close you know everything is so different in. yeah it's different and and it's also a lot more accessible when you're able to spend a chunk of time there where it's well, just like hey i could bop over and say hi and check this out so uh, yeah hopefully cbs uh sends you over there so you're doing italian football for cbs must be amazing for you to work doing something that you love to do. Uh, you're starting this podcast on Thursday. It's live. So can people actually watch it on YouTube live or listen to yes. it? So it will be live on YouTube um, with all comments uh, on. So you're able to ask questions. You're able to interact. You can share your own opinions and otherwise. I look forward to that a lot. Um, I have um, co-hosted podcasts in the past where we had that feature. And mm -hmm. I feel like it was such a, a more rich experience. Yeah. So Hoping that, um, you know, building out something new, this will be the second episode that we do um, going forward through the end of the season, especially as the uh, the table starts to shake a little bit, maybe um, mm -hmm. it'll get a lot more interesting. So how are you enjoying the experience of being a football broadcaster? It's very, very different. You know, when you're in a position where you're watching it for fun, then you're, watching, you're doing it for a living, which of course is an amazing privilege. You know, I've been able to do this for 10 plus years and I love doing it. Um, but uh, 
sometimes it requires a level of professionalism that I'm not always capable of. Uh, how, <laughs> how are you enjoying being in that arena? You, is it everything you thought it would be? Um, to be quite honest, I don't think I ever had a thought of what it would be. Mm. Um, I, I was just always myself. And so now it's kind of just a slightly different format before I used to just argue with all of my friends about mm. various details of soccer leagues and matches. Now it's just a, a bigger, larger audience. Um, and it's fortunate that usually I have a pretty good gang, uh, online. My interactions are, are decent. Um, and hopefully I'm adding something to the sport that, you know, maybe didn't exist before. No, look, it's fantastic. It's great to see you do it. I want to ask you about something that obviously comes up quite a bit. Um, unfortunately, we live in a world where uh, people see opportunity zero somewhere. It always has to be a guy. And if it's not a guy, someone's taking a box somewhere, which unfortunately, this is an attitude we have to change. Uh, I look at the timelines of female journalists, female commentators, and I'm embarrassed, to be honest, uh, because of the toxicity of a lot of sadly men um, who find this difficult. Uh, have you noticed uh, any of that coming your way since, you know, now you're more prevalent, now you're in the media, you're getting, you know, or, or has the reaction been, because it's difficult to deal with that sometimes. Is, is, has that been a, a negative side of it for you? Have you is, um, I think that the majority of my experience has been really positive. Um, people tend to know where I'm coming from when I speak, my opinions and otherwise. I try to be a little bit um, more measured about things when I'm not sure or otherwise. Yeah. But yeah, for sure. I've come up against the, the usual online gang that just wants to disqualify your opinion simply because um, women do not belong in football. I've seen mm -hmm. it happen to friends of mine who are also... Um, women in the space um, in various capacities where it's it's kind of silly um, I don't I don't understand why men continue to want to expose themselves in that way because <laughs> you're just making yourself look like a clown yeah. um, you if anyone wanted you uh, anonymous player avatar five six seven three five um, <laughs> to work in sports you'd be working in sports and you're simply negging someone who's in a position that you wish you were yeah, no, I completely agree. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's always uh, insecure uh, guys that do this. Uh, listen, I want to talk to you about uh, Serie A this season because um, good title race on right now. Uh, Milan maybe won't win the title this year. We, we, uh, I have to say, from a personal perspective, I would like to see Milan win the title. Um, what do you make of the Serie A title race this year? And could this be Milan's year? Uh, I think that, yeah, that I think Milan absolutely have a chance. I think that we've had a really, really, really packed table this entire season. It's been mere points. Even in the beginning of the season, it was like seven points between like the first and eighth team or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, if that. Um, and I think that we're starting to see teams make moves. Obviously, some teams are now finally getting hit with injury and otherwise others are seeing the cycle swing back. So squads like Napoli, are now firing on all pistons. I really, quite frankly, thought that Napoli would pull it off the last match against Milan, um, but uh, Olivier Giroud happened. So mm -hmm. um, Inter are still very much a contender. Um, they just got bounced from Champions League, which is unfortunate, but um, that was on aggregate. They did, in fact, uh, beat, beat Liverpool, Liverpool. Last night. Yeah, yeah, beat Liverpool last night. Um, I think that that was probably a little bit of combo of things they came out really strong the first half um and then Inzaghi made some really 
bizarre substitutions at bizarre times, but that that's neither here nor there. Um, I think that uh, Serie A is probably more competitive than it's been in past years. If you if you remember, and I have a pretty good memory, um, people had been attacking sort of, you know, is this league even fun? Is it competitive? It's dead. It's, it's on the down the downslide. Nobody wants to watch that. Um, and a lot of the arguments were like, oh, the same big clubs are winning repeatedly. There's no competition. Um, but I would argue counter um, where were the same arguments about La Liga? because it was happening there as well. You know, the same thing. I think there's been this resurgence in Serie A. Um, the competition has changed. Um, the investments have changed. There's now seven different squads with U.S. investment, which is previously unheard of. There's also U.S. players. We've got a handful that are finally there to give us that influx of uh, United States cross fandom. Um, I think that we're seeing a lot happening, especially just in the style of play. Um, long gone is like that Catanaccio, like heavily defensive, park the bus, very boring, dreary football. Um, we have managers like Vincenzo Italiano, um, Gasparini still that like mm-hmm. that pressing, that sexy football that I call it, that, that I like. Right. So um, I think that we're starting to see the league take a different shape and it's wonderful. Interesting. This is usually said by people who don't watch the league. I, this mm-hmm. is usually by people who um, watch one league, they're myopic, and they rely on old stereotypes. And if you actually sit down and watch the league, uh, it doesn't resemble anything. I mean, look, I've been talking about this for 10 years. This is not the Serie of your father, they used to say. And even yep. whenever I was watching in the early 90s, because I remember it coming on TV over there, the Pepe Signores buys you everything. You know, it, it wasn't what people were saying. I, I was, I think the very first game they showed on TV, but there was Lazio Santo, it was 5-4. Uh, and, uh, you know, you are, of course, the Juventus fan. You sang Vlahovic in January. Lots of people talking about Vlahovic in the same breath as a Holland um, of that caliber, a cheaper version. Juventus have done really well getting them from Fiorentina for the price that they did. Um, Score, was it after a minute in this Champions League debut or something like that? Uh, really the, did. Uh, yes. 30, 30 seconds, actually. Yes. Tell me uh, a bit about Vlavic and how excited should we be over him? Uh, Vlaovic, I was someone that was probably a little bit more tempered as that news broke that Juve were actually signing him. Um, it's not surprising, obviously Juve, the running joke and or major source of friction between the two squads is that, you know, Fiorentina are simply a Juve feeder squad, um, which Quite frankly, I can't, it's not necessarily untrue, right? We've, we've certainly had our share of successes uh, as a result of Fiorentina signings. Chiesa, who unfortunately is now injured. Um, Bernadeschi, who, ah, all right, like here and there, he's not nearly as, uh, I wouldn't mark him as high as success as some of our other signings. Um, Cuadrado, like the thing is, it's there. I think Vlovich is very young. I think my questions about him have been, completely cleared off the table. And those were simply, he doesn't really have the experience outside of that specific squad, right? So will he have big fish, small pond syndrome at uh, Fiorentina, but then cave under the pressure of somewhere like Juventus? And the answer is no. So I think that Vlaovic will be someone that Juve can build around going forward. It sort of helps the fact that uh, Juve had brought in Allegri 
to become that familiar voice, tone, pace, and otherwise to create stability. And so I think that now is the time to start that rebuilding. Um, unfortunately, we're not going to see some of the magic that I think we could have seen with Kiesa's ACL injury, with McKenney mm. being out with a broken foot, um, and the other plethora of, it's like a litany of injuries at this point. Unfortunately, I don't know what's going on at J Medical, but um, somebody should probably figure that out first. Um, uh-huh. One of the things I want to ask you about, because one of the things that also happened in January um, was Dejan Kulisewski went, followed Conte to Spurs. Spurs. And mm-hmm. he has looked very good since coming to Spurs. Because uh, he was a young player that you might have what, a year, year and a half ago. Um, why did they let him go? I think part of the problem with Kulu is, is absolutely not his talent. He, he was always talented. I think the problem was he got brought in during a bizarre time um, between the Pirlo and Allegri shift. And I don't think that he ever had a real spot on that team. Mm-hmm. Um, he was constantly being played out of position. They never really found full use of him. He never really latched and dug in his, in his, well, in his studs the way that they expected him to. But I think that's also a little bit unfair. The excitement for him, because obviously I, I wish him the best. He's a talented football player. And I think that he's got a big future ahead of him. Um, is that Conte's sort of secret sauce magic potion is getting the best <laughs> out of every single player that he has. So even if you're a mediocre you're probably going to be like star level or the best that you can reach. Right. I mean, look at, and you'll appreciate this or you won't at all, but like look <laughs> at pre look at pre Conti Darmian. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like yeah. he's not the same player that United had. Mm-hmm. So I think that for me, despite the fact that I would love for Spurs to stay down in the mud forever. Kulusevsky um, <laughs> is great for him and Conti is great for them. Even if he can't get them a trophy, which I, I find he will is the, is the tragedy of it all. Maybe not this season, but um, if he stays on, although we do know that Conti is a little bit knee jerky in his vacation of spots and, and jobs, but um, I think that he's the right person to have your best well, chances at anything. The, the Antonio Conte that we see uh, remained to me the Tunian Conte that took over Inter Milan. So when he took over Inter Milan, he does the press conference relatively early. And one of the things he talks about is the quality of the players, right? And he needs better players. And he gets better players. And to be fair, he delivers when he gets the players that he wants, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he comes into Tottenham. And what I'm trying to understand is, Christine, he, he was offered that job a year ago before Nuno. Turns it down for the same reasons that exist now. What, I mean, he had to have been made different promises because what we see at Spurs is Spurs being Spurs. Um, where they're buying young players, they don't buy the top of the market, they want to develop. That's what Spurs do. Um, what, what, was he made different promises or something? What, what, why did he take the job? Um, I haven't heard anything specifically, but I suspect that there were certain concessions that would have been made whereby Conti gets a lot more control over things because when you have a happy Conti, you have a good squad. If you're not willing to provide him with what he needs or what he asks, that's when you have a problem. And I think that that's something that in the past you see where Conti wants to go out on top. Um, but if he doesn't think that you're a functional workable squad where he can get you there, he won't take the job. So I think it's in twofold is that he saw something 
that maybe we didn't see that sort of pushed him to be like, you know, I think I can work with these guys. I think that there's, there's something here. Um, and, and I don't think that he's wrong. Um, I, I just think that they have some talent and they don't always work well together. Seems odd to me. Like you, you, you don't bring Antonio Conte in to be what Spurs were. You know, you have to right. bend at his will, give him what he wants. He'll deliver for you almost always. Uh, he's one of the best. But you football. also don't, you also don't bring Conte in if you're chasing um, uh, Champions League. So he's just not a Champions League manager. Doesn't have any under his belt. He doesn't seem to have any aspirations or ambitions really? toward it. But yeah, never. I've never thought about that. So what's his Champions League record like? Is it not good? None. Interesting. So yeah. you, when you it's one none, of those, it's one of those like Conte anomalies where how are you so good wow, at your specific leagues? Yeah. Interesting. When we when we wrap, go go do a deep dive, it's much more than that, but it's very interesting because I feel like it's one of those like riddle of the Sphinx of football that uh, Conte doesn't have any champions leagues under his belt that like, maybe he makes like a brief run and then it just fizzles out and goes. What do nothing. you think but is the reason for that? I don't, I honestly, I've thought about this because it's kind of a fun thing to try mm-hmm. to hypothesize. How do you, how do you as inarguably one of the more brilliant football managers that's get incredible. squads, get squads to be the best version of themselves where you can actually get them to win the league in a season, two seasons, right? Very brief spells, right? This wasn't like, um, he doesn't get squads and then do like these sort of like cloppy and rebuilds that take yeah. time, right? Like, which I respect. I think Jurgen Klopp is brilliant, sure. but not every, uh, not every team has the appetite to let someone take that much time to get Mm -hmm. things together. Right. So the small time spans that he's managed to do the things that he's done, including, but not limited to enter, um, to put them in champions league, um, but not really have much of anything come of it. I don't, I don't know if it's like, uh, an issue in like the mental space of trying to manage for both large sort of trophies, like, or, I don't know. I, I assume it's got to be some sort of psychological thing because I can't imagine that he wouldn't want to win a Champions League. Let me ask you about uh, Ramla Lukaku because that was one of his former players. Of course, Ramla Lukaku goes to Chelsea. Six months there, you know, he's pining for Inter Milan, which would appear to me he was also probably pining for as much Tony Conte as anything else. Tony Conte, as we know, Christine is there. Uh, he, he works his players very hard. He wants them very fit. And one of the things mm-hmm. I noticed about Lukaku when he went to enter was a change in his physicality, right? Um, I think he lost some of the bulk. He was a lot quicker. Um, lots of question marks about the future of Harry Kane. Will he won't be? I just wonder, is there some appetite on Lukaku's part, Conte's part, and Spurs' part to say, you know what, we take him out of Chelsea in the cup price. Day. We know Chelsea are going to have to probably sell players this summer. Do you think there's a possibility that could happen? I don't, I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, I think that Conte certainly has his favorites uh, in terms of players and personnel that he's worked with previously. Um, I think that they did have a good working relationship. I just don't know. Like, I love Lukaku. I really do. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, more recently, he's less your like quintessential like striker 
and more your like tap in specialist um, yeah yeah, set piece so Mm -hmm. i think that um it's sort of the same thing like you look at the stats and you're like yeah but it's up there it's like yeah okay but like what's what's underlying those stats i guess he's getting the goals but it's not like um like a vlavich or Mm -hmm. or, you know what i mean it's it's different um in that respect the same way that you know everyone wants to say that arthur on uve like oh but like he holds up the ball okay yeah he holds up the ball but he's making a lot of lateral passes back passes and almost never makes long passes or gets into the final third like um so there's more to the stat than just yeah stats can be misleading i know you keep right yeah i I think pep Guardiola was talking about this the other day where he was like you know there are certain things that stat sheet just won't show and uh, certain things that it can be misleading and give you uh, wrong conclusions. You know, someone can have 93% possession, like you know, they just to have under Van Hall and not have a shot. You know, it doesn't yeah. really mean much, you know. Um, but yeah, I was just curious to see what would happen with Lukaku because it seems like uh, he's in a bit of a mess there. Um, I want to ask you about Mario Balotelli because Mario Balotelli uh, called back into the, the nice little team. It's hard to dislike Balotelli. Right. Why um, always me? Yeah. <laughs> but he, you know, this was a kid I remember at 17 had unbelievable talent. Right. Just and and in many ways is an example to people that talent is not enough. Right. Um, you know, it's even though he played for Manchester City, it was part of his personality that I really liked, right? A bit of yeah. a child in him. Bit of a child in him that um, you, you know, you, I, I didn't want him to lose. It's sort of like that people were don't take life too seriously. Uh, he's got himself back in the Italian national team. What's the feeling in Italy towards Balo? I, I think it's good, honestly, because the the general feeling about Balotelli is that he is a talent, right? Mm-hmm. I think that there's probably a little bit of a split in terms of uh, do we really want to deal with the potential volatility of a personality like him, right? Um, in exchange for what talent could be resulting from the output. I do think it's been a long time coming though, right? So I think uh, with a little bit of maturity, uh, you're still going to have that Balotelli bravado. Like that's a personality trait, okay? Mm -hmm. Like love it or hate it, the guy is him. He knows who he is. Um, I think that uh, some of the stuff that he's dealt with in the past, the instances of like racist abuse and otherwise is like unacceptable. So I personally totally understand why he is the way he is oftentimes, but I think that the overall feeling for folksing him get his uh, go again at uh, Italian duties are good, are good. I I mean, I'm hoping that um, he proves everyone wrong. Right, I do like that's what we're hoping for. He's such a good guy, uh, and there's no evil in him. Like the, his, every time he gets in trouble, it's not for anything malicious. It's not for anything where like, uh, you know, it's I think for him, stupid, you know, for him, it's partially. I think. Um, he hasn't necessarily been in the right places with the right fit with the right managers for his particular personality. Um, but I think that uh, it's a long time coming. Like he, the kid has the talent. Let's see what he can do. Want to ask you just uh, change direction? A couple of questions before we go. Uh, U.S. Women's National Team finally got a settlement. Um, they did. Yes. Uh, which to me, I think, regardless of whether. You know, obviously at a bare minimum, Christine, it has to be equivalent to anything that the men are getting. And unfortunately, when a situation where that money means a lot more to the women than it does to the men, because the men are making so much more in their weekly careers for their particular football clubs. And 
whereas the women are are not. And you know, you always get these stupid counter arguments about, well, you know, you know, men, more people watch men, blah blah blah. There's not, there's not when you, the, the investment in female sports versus male sports not being commensurate, right? And so I think anytime we invest in female sports, we get a return on our investment. And finally, we start to see where the women's sports in this country um, are being taken seriously because we see the commercial potential. You and I are also big uh, MMA boxing fans. We see in sports that are largely male-dominated leading the way saying, hey, look, our female athletes, if they're promoted properly, right, and if they're promoted in the same way that men are, uh, there's tremendous appetite for these sports. There's tremendous spectator appetite. In boxing, we have two females that are going to lead a pay-per-view event for the first time, which is amazing. Uh, two fantastically talented ladies. And of course, we know everything's going on in MMA. Um, some men have reacted like this money's coming out of their pocket, which I really don't understand. As a female in this country who loves the sport, who, you know, we've still got a long way to go. How much did this salmon mean to you? I think that uh, symbolically, um, it was it was a good thing. It still is a good thing. Um, I just wish that, uh, to your point, uh, despite the fact that you know, um, oh, fewer people watch women's sports, et cetera, and that framing. Um, it's because we've been given less of an opportunity to watch mm -hmm. women's sports, right? So if you do not provide the access, you simply do not get the return, right? So that aside, um, this this settlement uh, came in two parts of this massive lawsuit because one part of it was just based on the working conditions, right? And so that means uh, things like field conditions. So actual fields and not turf, which they were playing on, which the men hadn't been forced to play on. Um, travel accommodations, things like that. Um, so the collective of not having made uh, a reasonable salary in terms of what they were physically doing, uh, not being treated the same, not having the same access to equipment and things like that, they're still winning World Cups, okay? So not having access to any of these things, they're defying all of that. Whereas if you look at the men, and this is not a neg to the men, have zero World Cup wins under their belts, okay? So if anything, I like to look at it in a positive light of, despite all odds, these women overcame and they're absolute warriors, right? That's first and foremost. Secondly, now coming off of a $60 million lawsuit that included back wages for 28 of the players as part of that lawsuit, coming down and winning a 40% settlement isn't terrible, right? It's not terrible. 22 million of the 24 million um, will be allocated to those particular players over a four-year period with another 2 million going to the post-player fund. Fine, right? That's okay. I think that uh, this all started back in 2016. I think it's been far, far, far too long that it's been addressed. Now, the only issue that I really have with this particular settlement is that it hinges on the agreement and ratification of the collective bargaining agreement um, for both the men's side and the women's side. Um, and the good part is that that has a drop dead date of March 31st. So that has to happen by the end of this month. Both the men's side and the women's side right now are operating on expired agreements. The small part of that, which is funny, um, that so many people that are completely unrelated to uh, the actual dispute physically, right? None of the players are really coming forward to say this, but it's random fans on the site. Um, it will require the men's side to agree to some sort of cuts to be able to level mm -hmm. them off in the long run. So um, 
with the appointment, uh, reappointment, I should say, of Cindy Cohn um, for U.S. soccer and otherwise, uh, I think the prospect is good. I don't think that they would have agreed to that um, settlement if they didn't think that they'd be able to see it to fruition. So good, but still we're not crossed the line yet, right? Like this is going to be an ongoing effort to ensure. But I also think that for women's sport more broadly, that now this is not just a U.S. women's national team fight. This is an every federation women's game fight. The women know that they need to stand together because there's more power in numbers. I hope that every single country and otherwise feel empowered to start asking for things. We're seeing positivity out of places like Saudi Arabia that now have a women's squad together with uh, Monica Staub, the German heading them, mm-hmm. and they won their first uh, friendly. Like these are these are good signs because it's this, I don't even want to say a resurgence of women's soccer because I don't know that there's the re-portion to assign to it, but we're finally getting our teeth back, right? Like give them the tools that they need and let's see how far they can take this because they've taken it on basically two peanuts in their pocket and prayers this far. Yeah. And I think also what's helping is how we're broadcasting the frame of women's sports because for so often, and some of the big broadcasters have been so guilty of this more than anyone is it's constantly framed with a position of ridicule. They'll show something, some mistake that happens in the game and they'll play that nauseam as if this is evidence that as if this never happens in the men's sports, right? Mm-hmm. You know, as if the Spanish goalkeeper in the Euros didn't uh, have a ball roll over his feet and then the goal as if these mistakes don't happen. You know, and I, I just, uh, I finally see it being unacceptable to present women's sports in this sense, in this manner, because, uh, and it, it is across Europe as well and other parts of the world where also big clubs now see the commercial potential of women's sports and you yep. finally see big clubs in Europe now really, really getting behind it. And if you look at the makeup of people who go watch women's games like Christine, it is lots of men, young men, middle-aged men, you know, men of them have daughters and what have you, who, you know, and it seems such the lowest bar in the world to say, hey, remove your misogyny and be able to watch this. When it's yeah, crazy, yeah. And they come on, I, I think on the world. I think we need some of that, but also I feel like it's been very interesting framing for the women's game that um, there's almost this push to make it this more wholesome version, family mm. friendly of the men's game. Absolutely not. No, I love I want, snake. I, I love want, elbows. I want oh, elbows. I want maximum heel. Give me a good villain. I want all of the shit housing that we get in the men's game, because quite frankly, as somebody who's played the game since I was Mm -hmm. four, it's all still there. Of course. It doesn't go away. Quite frankly, that does not make them any less of a valuable tool or role model. Are you kidding me? You know what I want? I want role models that represent me. I love it. I want somebody, I want more Brandy Chastain's ripping Mm -hmm. their shirt off, flexing their muscles. I want... I want us to be able to take up the space that we actually have and deserve rather than having somebody offer it to us. Yeah, of course, because this is always an attempt to portray women as the gentler, weaker. And I think one of my favorite clips of all time is, and I'm sure you've seen this a million times, I think it's a college game, where it's two girls marking each other and she's putting her hands, the elbows and the and elbows are in the stomach. And I, I just, I, you know, I think it's amazing because like we've seen proclivities that we do, you see predilections that we do. And I think uh I think you're absolutely right that there's an attempt to 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 portray it as some type of innocence and 
you know, um, anyone who's played cool football will know what's not the case. <laughs> and I've had many of elbow and a fierce and, you know, all that there. So, uh, mind, I, mind your ankles, okay? Yes, Just mind your I, ankles. <laughs> and as someone who spent time in a, a lot of time in a boxing gym with females who fight, that's the other thing. A lot of guys watch female boxers and think, I could be, you couldn't. They kick your ass yeah, in the a crap out of me. Are you kidding me? Second. I did a really good job, but I still have my my sparring bruise from last week, which was my uh, oh. don't drop your left lesson of the yes, day. Yes, you bring up. Because you drop the left mm-hmm. when you throw the right, over and right, it's all boom. over. That's it. <laughs> Those are painful lessons. Christine. From personal perspective, it's great to see how well you're doing your career. Uh, I know how hard you've worked for this. I know how much it means to you. This is something you've earned. Uh, I fully expect to be doing this again in six months, and you've continued to progress. And uh, it's, uh, it's it's my amount of pride for me to see you do so well. And uh, certainly to point out anyone who will listen, that's my friend when I see you on TV. So thank you so much thank for you, everything that you do. Um... I would be nowhere without the support of all of my friends, mentors, and otherwise who have been super helpful to me, um, welcoming and otherwise not afraid to tell me when I'm being an idiot. So, <laughs> well, none of us are above being an idiot, Christine, but honestly, uh, you are fantastic at what you do. Uh, you've earned this, and it's great to see good things happen to good people. So, keep stay tuned, folks. Don't forget to check out this fantastic podcast uh, uh, on Thursday on Cake Lasso YouTube. I'll post some links to it once we get them. So, Christine, all the best, and thank you so much. And uh, give Gigi a big hug for me. <laughs> I will, of course. Thank You're you. A beautiful Phil. dog. Thanks, see you, Christine. <laughs> Take care. Bye bye.